Thank you, Lanray. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's good to be with you, online at least. Um, we're in a summer series looking at some of the parables of Jesus. Here's, here's the setting for this parable that we're going to read in a moment. Before the passage we're going to read, it gives a little introduction to the setting. It's this. A crowd of many thousands were trampling on one another. So you get the scene. Jesus, Jesus has got throngs of people hanging around him. He is being listened to and sought out by many, many people. This is a really high point in his ministry. And we're going to read about this parable from Luke chapter 12. I want you to have in mind there is a vast thousands of people around in this scene. The, par- uh, the story goes like this. Someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between the two of you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of grief, greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And so he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. I wonder if anything has surprised you lately. I was reading John Grisham's latest novel on a couple of days off a week or so ago and the story was going along nicely and I thought there must be a twist somewhere in this and I kept going and I kept going and then right near the end the key character was at a party, took some illegal tablets and died of an overdose. I was completely surprised. I had not seen that coming. That really surprised me. I wonder if you're ever surprised at Jesus when you read about him in the Bible? Does he ever catch you off guard and you think like, whoa, I never saw that coming? Does he ever leave you thinking, I was not expecting that conclusion to that scene? Or maybe you're left uncomfortable about his challenge sometimes. One well-known writer said this about Jesus, you haven't met the real Jesus if your reactions are not extreme. He's shocking, he's surprising, he's amazing all the way through the gospel stories. And this story that Jesus told strikes an extremely uncomfortable blow at the whole value system of our wealth and possessions obsessed culture. You see, what our society regards as successful, Jesus says is actually foolish not just silly 
Not just misguided, but foolish. The evidence of someone who has lived their life, that means with no reference to God at all. Foolish. It's really, really strong. So this parable, this whole episode, could not be more provocative. It could not be more relevant. You see, if it addresses an issue in Jesus' day, how much more so now? And so Jesus warns them, and we need to hear it today, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, that insatiable need for more. You see, we are constantly, and I mean constantly, encouraged to believe that what we need is just a bit more. We'd never want to put ourselves out there and say, well, I need loads. But just that insatiable sense of, I could just do a bit more. And we are told constantly to believe that life does consist in the abundance of our possessions. Every day, I and you are being trained to be discontented with our lot. That is the whole idea behind advertising. Advert after advert after advert says, you haven't got enough. Life isn't sufficient now. Be discontented. But with this, you would finally be happy. It's a major effect of social media as well. So hear this. Watch out. Be on your guard. So a man in the crowd shouts out to Jesus. Perhaps he was at the back, maybe he's muscled his way through. He's got this urgent question. And he gets to the front and he shouts out to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Well, the Old Testament had rules and laws for how to divide inheritances. But this situation clearly fell outside of those laws. Perhaps... His father had died suddenly, not leaving a written or a spoken will. And now the older brother, this guy's brother, the older brother would have been responsible for working out what would happen. And he won't settle up as this brother wants him to. So this guy does whatever, you know, any Jewish person would do in the time. They would seek out a rabbi to give an answer to disputed matters. But Jesus, interestingly, refuses to be drawn into that specific case. And instead, he throws a warning to this guy, to everybody listening, and to all of us. He throws out this warning. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. The word for watch out there is a strong one. It's the same one actually that's used of the shepherds watching their flocks at night in the story of Jesus' birth. And it's the same word used in Acts chapter 12 where Peter is under guard from 16 soldiers and they are told to guard him. In other words, don't take your eyes off him. Keep very close attention on him. There's a battle going on, you see, and a strong word is needed here to say, don't let your guard up for a moment. Jesus is really, really serious here. And so he tells this short story 
to go alongside his teaching. He gives this story, that's what a parable is, to bring to life the point that he's making. And the story goes, as we read, a bit like this. There was an already wealthy landowner and he now has a bumper crop. And he thinks, well, I can't sell all that. What shall I do? And he decides to knock down his existing barns, build bigger ones so that he can now house the extra grain. And his plan is a, seems like a good one. With so much, I am now at a position where I can take life easy. I can eat, drink, and be merry for all my, the rest of my days. But what he finds out, what we find out in the story is that he is not in control of his life as much as he thought. Instead, you see, God, that very night, demands his life from him. And so, the foolishness of his decision-making is clear for all to see. For all that he has stored up, for all the barns he's been able to fill, he takes with him nothing. Now let's be clear before we ask, what is Jesus saying here? Let's be clear. This successful farmer... Is not called fool simply because he's wealthy. You see, you can be rich and righteous or rich and foolish. You can be poor and righteous or poor and foolish. It's not an anti-wealth parable as such, which is a good job for most of us because we, by any standards, live in the rich part of the world and most of us have so much that we really could spare a lot. This is not against wealth in itself. So the question is, what is Jesus saying? Well, he's saying a whole load of things, but I'm going to give you three. He's saying at least these three things. Firstly, he's saying this, your stuff and your life are on loan. Your stuff, even your life, is on loan from God. Now, in the Greek text of this story, the short conversation the farmer has with himself in verses 17 to 19, 12 times... He is said to say, I and me. And that's deliberate. It's deliberately told that way to highlight the self-centeredness of the farmer's thought processes. He's forgetting, he's totally forgotten a basic principle that God is the reference point for every decision and for what you do in the future. He's completely forgotten that. He's forgotten that everything is on loan from God to be used for God, to be used for the good of others too. And one day, it is all going to be returned and it's all going to be accounted for. Here's a sobering truth that Jesus is getting at here. We are simply stewards of what he has given us to look after that actually belongs to him. The famous Psalm 24 verse 1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. He felt he had done well, gathered his stuff for him, forgetting it was just on loan and he would be called to account one day. In fact, even the man's life is on loan. For all his planning about barns and all the control 
He believes he exerts over his future. It's God who is in control of his life and in control of the moment of his death. So verse 20, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. And it is actually the language of returning alone. God has given you this life. He's allowed you to acquire some stuff. Don't fall for the lie that it's yours. The day is coming when it will have to be returned. That's the story here. Paul writes to Timothy and says this famous statement, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. John Ortberg tells this story. My grandmother had just gotten out of jail. She was a roll away from the yellow properties. And the yellow properties meant trouble. They were mine. And they had hotels. And Gran had no money. She'd wanted to stay in in jail longer to avoid landing on my property and having to cough up the dough she did not have. But she rolled doubles. And that meant her bacon was going to get fried. I was a 10-year-old sitting at the Monopoly table I had it all, money and property, houses and hotels. I'd been a loser at this game my whole life, but today was different. I knew it would be. Grandmother was at her feistiest when it came to Monopoly. Periodically, other leaders develop a reputation for toughness. They were lap dogs next to her. When I got the, oh, sorry, down here. Then one year, when I was 10, I spent a summer playing Monopoly every day with a kid next door. Gradually, it dawned on me that the only way to win this game was to make a total commitment to acquisition. No mercy, no fear. What my grandmother had been showing me for so long finally sank in. By the fall when we sat down to play, I was more ruthless than she was. My palms were sweaty. I would play without softness or caution. I was ready to bend the rules if I had to. Slowly, cunningly, I exposed the soft underbelly of my grandmother's vulnerability. Relentlessly, inexorably, I drove her off the board. I can still remember. It happened at Marvin Gardens. I looked at my grandmother... This was the woman who taught me how to play. And I took everything she had. I destroyed her financially and psychologically. I watched her give up her last dollar and quit in utter defeat. It was the greatest moment of my life at the age of 10. I had won. I was cleverer and stronger and more ruthless than anyone at the table. I was master of the board. Then my grandmother had one more thing to teach me. The greatest lesson comes at the end of the game. And here it is. Now it all goes back in the box. All those houses and hotels, all that property, all those thousands of dollars. When the game is over, it all goes back. In the box. Your stuff, even your life, is on loan. Steward it well for the glory of God and the good of others because it will all, 
every little bit of it will go back in the box. And I wonder for some, is that, a, is that a heart shift? Is that a mind shift that you need to make right now? Do you ever catch yourself saying, well, it's mine. Why should I do this with it or give that away? I just want to provoke you and say, it all goes back in the box. Your stuff and your life is on loan. Secondly, the real game is the long game. The real game is the long game. So far this year, I've taken four funerals. The first was my father-in-law, and then since then, three members from Citygate, Patricia, Sasha, and Malcolm. And each one, let's be honest, you must feel this when you're at a funeral, each one is a sober reminder to me that one day it will be me that hopefully people are saying some nice words about. So each time, each time I take a funeral, I include this prayer every time. It goes like this. God, I pray for all of us gathered here today for whom every funeral is a sober reminder that one day our time to meet you will come. Grant us wisdom to use our time wisely and lead us to repentance from our sins and to faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. In fact, after the funeral 11 days ago of Malcolm, I was sitting in the, in the after event with a few of our older folk from Citygate. And they were having this very honest conversation, exactly this thing that they had been thinking as they sat there. I wonder which one of us will be next. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years, this man said in the parable. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But Jesus says fool, because not only does it all go back in the box, but you've been giving your attention to the wrong game, which is the ultimately foolish thing to do. Imagine finding out that what you'd set your heart on was a false treasure. Imagine you invested all you have in something that gives no ultimate return. No, it's the long game. It's the eternal game. The one that continues beyond death that is the real game. And this farmer is not being criticized for his business sense. He's being criticized for focusing on temporal matters when the eternal ones are the matters that really count. His conversation, you see, with himself was about I and me. They had no reference to God, had no reference to good potentially done to others. His prosperity had no goal other than his own ease. He could see as far as retirement, but he could not see into eternity. Funerals, I find, are the ultimate reality check forcing me to ask, am I playing in? Am I investing in the right game? A little bit in the Old Testament makes this seemingly on first reading strange statement. It says this, it is better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. 
For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. What a strange thing to say. It's better to go to a house of mourning than it is to a house of feasting. Why would he say that? The stark reason is this. That we need jolting to remember that this life is not all there is. That this life is short. Don't play the wrong game. Don't be in it just for short term. The real game is the long game. So let me ask you a practical question. How are you at giving away? Would your friends describe you as generous? The answers to that just might tell you whether you're playing the short game or the long game. Your stuff and your life are on loan. You're going to have to repay them one day. It's not yours. And the real game is the long game. Don't forget that. But I can't finish without saying this. When we're talking and dealing with treasure here and storing up. This is my final point. The real treasure is Jesus. The real treasure is Jesus. You see, both the farmer and the guy who made the statement at the beginning have at core... Not just a financial issue, but a heart issue. Because their responses and what they're after reveal not just their financial situation, but they reveal where their treasure is, what their hearts are focused on, what they're worshipping. Why was the man in the crowd concerned about inheritance? Well, on one hand, Probably for reasons of justice. He thought he wasn't getting a fair deal. His older brother wasn't sorting this out fairly. But behind that is this. He was concerned about inheritance because of what it could offer him. Security. Options. A certain lifestyle. Less worry. I wonder if you ever find yourself thinking, if I just had a bit more, I'd have more options. Or that's, I, To be honest, that's... Probably what I find my financial possession concern to be sometimes. It's not that I want lavishness, it's just options would be nice. Security would be nice. But those things, for this guy, this brother, had become the treasure on which his heart was set. Which is why a focus on money and possessions is dangerous. In the extreme. And why was the farmer in the parable? Why was he so concerned to store up grain for the years ahead? Because he was worshipping something too. He had a treasure. His treasure was this taking life easy. Eating, drinking, and being merry was what he hoped for ultimately. He'd set his heart on it. Which again is why Jesus says, Watch out. Be careful, guard your heart, because a focus on possessions is so dangerous. So we can't, we can't just look at these two men from a distance as if we're okay, because the lie that those two men believed is the very same lie we are constantly tempted to believe, that life does consist in an abundance 
of possessions. John Piper writes of possessions as it were speaking to these two men in this passage and he imagines possessions speaking to them saying if you lose me you lose a very large part of your life. If you lose me you lose what life can be for you. I am your life. Do you realize how big I am? Life will be real life. Truly life if you have me. It's very very powerful. And just a little bit later down in the passage, because the passage that we read fits in the whole passage, just a little bit later, Jesus is continuing to speak. And he makes this profound statement that we've seen illustrated in the brother and the farmer. He says this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Which leads me to say this, As we well know from the entire Bible storyline, Jesus really is the only treasure worth setting your heart on. See, a day is coming when your life will be demanded from you. And on that day, to have placed your treasure, your heart, your worship, your value in any treasure other than Jesus, will be found to have been very foolish. And in this parable, it says this, this very night your life will be demanded from you, which is meant to shock us all from the complacency that life just goes on and on and on, that we do not know when God will say, Your time is up. Come home. When he will demand all back from us that he's lent us. And we'll have to account for it. So let me just ask you as we close. Let me ask you this. Where in all this matter, where do you need to hear this from Jesus this morning? Watch out. Be on your guard. Against all kinds of greed. Life really does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Maybe where you are at home, you'd just like to close your eyes just so you can concentrate and think for a moment. From all that we've said, what is the thing that lands with you? Maybe you've just never clocked. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Oh, this is all on loan. Maybe you've been playing a short game. Maybe the game you need to start playing is the eternal game. Put your hope in Jesus. And maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and Jesus has just waned a little bit. Make him your treasure. He's the only one truly worth living for. And for all of us, there might be a step of generosity. Something Maybe you've been giving to the church and you just, it's, been, it's become comfortable. Maybe you haven't given generously to a friend for a long time. Maybe your whole way of life is to protect what you've got. Let's take a step this morning and not be a fool. Jesus, we thank you that you are the one treasure worth living for. Thank you there is an eternal hope where things don't perish and things don't fade with you forever. Lord, teach us 
to handle wisely what we have, to offer it all up to you, to live a generous life, be rich to you, rich towards others, and know that you will receive us one day into a kingdom that cannot fail or perish. Thank you, Jesus. You are so wonderful and worth our everything. Amen.